We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Finishing up our $125 best ball tournament draft at the FFPC. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com with me. As always, is Sean Siegel. Final his great work at Rotoviz. We drew the 104. We started Justin Jefferson, Kyle Pitts, AJ Brown. It's been a pretty wide receiver heavy draft. You're familiar with that concept. We did take J.K. Dobbins in the fifth, and we took two early quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson and Trey Lance. Let's jump back in as we finish up the draft and talk about how things unfolded and how we like the roster. And when we look at round 12 values, Kenny Gainwell in the first half, Daryl Henderson in the second half, Alice Year and Tyrion Davis Price late 13th. Marlon Mack, someone who I do think will bounce back from the Achilles and at least play enough to be an occasional roster guy in best ball late in the 14th. That's the general shape that we're seeing by ADP. Now we know that a lot of that does go out the window when you get into these double digit rounds and you do need to follow your rankings, at least to an extent, make sure you get players who fit with the build that you have going. Absolutely. Ron Jones still there. Get all the way to the turn on the other side. You projected a potential surprise Ronald Jones slide Rashad White and Michael Carter went right after us. We saw Tyler Higby, Tyler Boyd, Jahan Dotson, Justin Fields, Albert Okugbenam all go. Naheem Hines and Daryl Henderson at the turn. Two running backs that are not Ronald Jones. Then we get Kenny Galladay and Tim Patrick coming back. We are now five picks away. And Ronald Jones has been a top RQ for like three rounds. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, one of the other things I want to say about that running back group is after about the Tyrion Davis-Price range, there are definitely some interesting backs. There, there always are. But I do think there's a bit of a drop-off when you start to see people take basically James Robinson. I think that's also an indication. They're like, okay, I'm willing to take James Robinson. Despite the health concerns and all of that, he tends to slot in right after that point. He actually just went off the board as I was looking at him in the queue. So he goes ahead of all of those backs in this particular draft. You know, the Achilles is a tough one to come back from on such short terms. He was a, a December guy. And even if he is able to get back and be a little bit explosive for a period, I have a really hard time imagining him having a really long and productive season with 200 touches 
all within 200, you know, 12 months of that Achilles tear, which happened in December. But there have been some positive reports and, and people are getting on that train. Maybe I'll be wrong, but that's not a guy that I want to target here. I was going to say, once you get to, to him after the, the tier and Davis price and, and that group that I read off, it does feel like there's a pretty good tier break there from sort of the priority zero RB targets to the more, I would say, pure flyers, if you will. Are you seeing that? You're the zero RB target guy. I think there's another tier break after those players that you mentioned. The other name that I had. Oh, Rontel Moore made it back. So we get uh, Rojo. I mean, Ronald Jones. Yeah. And that is very exciting. The other player who actually made it within two picks of us, who also had an 11th round ADP, and I had forgotten to mention it a moment ago, Isaiah Spiller, someone who would have immense upside if anything happened to Austin Eckler. Yeah, Almost him. too bad that we don't get to choose between them, but obviously we are going to go Ronald Jones here. Yeah, you would have you would have tried to talk us into another non Ronald Jones pick after. Well, once we got to this point, and the the players in between have have running back, uh, you're almost like, well, let's just see. But there's no point to see how far he falls and not get him on your own team. The player who also has been near the top of the board for a while, and another player that I saw mentioned as a potential surprise cut, in I think a similar kind of dynamic to the one with Ronald Jones. Uh, is Alexander Madison. And based on sort of the background for Ty Chandler, I actually don't think it's impossible that Madison would be a surprise cut, even though that's not really what I'm predicting. I think that they will find other backs on their roster to get rid of. But that part and him falling is kind of frustrating here, Ben, because we just lost Kenneth Gainwell and Tyler Algier, which were the two guys I really were hoping were come, would come back. Yep, they would have been fun ones. Madison's still sitting here well after ADP. I'm I'm totally fine taking him at this point. The alternative for me would be Tyrion Davis-Price, who also sits as one of the next few running backs available. Is there any kind of correlation element here? One of the things is that the second string running back on a team that you have a number of players from actually – pops in the stack explorers on the site regardless of format so that makes him a little bit interesting especially with the reports that the 49ers are going to be very committee based we wouldn't necessarily need but isn't his Davis upside Price. just to, to isn't his upside related to some goal line work and isn't lance's upside related to some rushing touchdowns i mean i i, I hear that i took lance and scott fishbowl thought about Tyrion davis price decided to go another direction because i actually felt like even though that might be a broad-based correlation that this is a spot with with Lance specifically where we want such rushing potential that it, it's very similar to what we'd want from Tyrion Davis price. Well, I think on a full season basis, it causes a potential problem. I think on an individual like game basis in yeah. let's, take, ball, let's take him. It actually could work to our advantage, right? So in it, I wouldn't want both of those guys in a redraft league where you've got to start your own lineup every week. I think that that would be a, sort of a mini disaster in best ball, both for winning the full season and how that kind of balances out and raises your weekly floor, but then also for individual weeks at the end, especially because one of the things that we're looking to do here potentially would be to have Trey Lance get us through week 16 and then Lamar Jackson win us the whole tournament in week 17 when TDP goes off. 
And so from that perspective, I yeah. think that there are some real benefits to having these guys together. And, and sorry to, to cut in as you were trying to make that case. I think that was a really strong case. I just wanted to make sure that you knew I agreed because we were at about six seconds on our clock. But I, I, as soon as you said that, I was definitely on board, especially because Lance is not our number one, right? We don't need Lance to have every week upside. We talked about the two QBs that we have. Anytime Tyrion Davis Price is doing that and maybe cutting into Lance's upside, that's fine because we have Lamar Jackson on our team as well. And more broadly, we have now made this pretty strong bet on San Francisco's offense, which is what the sack explorer is showing, you know, in, in the in the big level is, you know, sometimes when you just get the quarterback right, you get the receiver right, you get the running back right, you get the whole offense right. They just perform particularly well. I really like uh, just piling them on and saying, hey, we're, we're playing San, San Francisco to smash. I did think there were some unique elements there, but I think you hit that very, very well in terms of how that will play out in best ball. And especially for this roster with Lamar there, that's a nice fit. The other player, Ben, that if we hadn't kind of gotten caught a little bit with looking at Gainwell and Algier, who went off right before us and sort of emphasizing the running back position, which I think was the right call. If we had taken a running back in 11, which would have been Rojo, and then taken either Gainwell and Algier in 12, would you have been excited about Jarvis Landry, a player who we talked about kind of getting to the end of the tier of receivers we really want to draft, but Jarvis Landry is sort of an interesting player in round 13, given that he did immediately generate some very positive buzz once he went to New Orleans. But now that it looks like... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I get offers in Dynasty for Michael Thomas all the time, and I, I just don't think that there's very much value there, even for 2022. Does Jarvis Landry slide, though, if Michael Thomas is able to come out and practice in training camp? Yeah, I would assume so. I don't know if he should. We should probably get a better price on him. I do like adding him to these types of builds. I'm, I'm kind of chewing on my thoughts here because I'm not sure. I'm not really sure what to make of Michael Thomas. <laughs> that's, that's what it comes down to. I mean, the last time we saw him for a full season, it was a long, long time ago, but he, his last full season, he broke the NFL catcher's record. And I mean, yeah, he still had Drew Brees, but he looked like a guy who could just earn an obscene, obscene amount of volume. He had 149 catches. That was the 2019 season. He only plays seven games in 2020. He doesn't play in 2021. I've been very much out on him keep hearing positive reports. He did get put on PUP, but people are talking about him moving well. I'm probably not going to end up drafting him anywhere. Uh, but you did just talk about how this offense is not expected to be very explosive. I still like Landry's price. I think the way that I would play the Saints passing game to the extent that I'm going to play it at all is Landry. Does he fall? I, I mean, I don't know. He's already so cheap. Where are you at on Marlon Mack? You've mentioned him to me a couple of times this offseason as the potential starter for the Texans. He seems to be rehabbing pretty well. I was looking for some quotes. Some of the stuff that I found suggested that, you know, there was positive stuff about Mack, and then they, they were, you know, I think it was Lovey Smith, right, as the, as the coach for the Texans now. He was quick to say, you know, we like him. We also like all the other running backs we have. We think it's a really good group. They're, they're basically emphasizing that they intend to use multiple backs. You would think that Damian Pierce would be the one that would gain work across the season. 
Rex, I think Rex Burkhead's probably going to play a decent amount on passing downs. Well, yeah, when you have Rex Burkhead, you've got a good running back room, so I don't think Lovey is <laughs> exaggerating there at all. I mean, he's somebody that didn't even go in, in my Scott Fish Bowl to bring that back up. But 22nd round, I was looking at him a little bit. I was like, you know, I could, I could take him, but Will Fuller was still there. I mean, just had to take Will Fuller. But do you think Marlon Mack's an interesting addition to, to zero RB builds in the sense that you know, his best case scenario is he's kind of a lead back. He's getting 10 to 15 touches, and he provides a little bit of a floor element, not in a good offense or anything, but a little bit of a floor element. If he is all the way back now two years removed from the Achilles, that is something you've mentioned to consider with the Achilles is that we do see sometimes see these guys more explosive that second year back. Yeah, and really after you get outside that sort of 18-month zone, one of the things that the Texans have emphasized that he looks like the Marlon Mack of old and the Marlon Mack of old was good. I mean, even last year, because of that, the Colts were trying to showcase him a little bit. And I mean, when you're not back to full explosiveness, you don't want to be showcased right next to Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> no one's going to trade for you in that situation. You're not going to look good. But Marlon Mack was a very good player. One of the reasons why we tend to target the backup rookies is that as they go throughout the course of the season, they do tend to take over, especially if they're good. I don't know that Damian Pierce is good enough, but also we have sort of a, a price flip in this situation where you're actually getting the guy who's going to in all likelihood start. I mean, it's not guaranteed. If Pierce does come out and look great in the preseason, he will take that job. So you've got a couple of things kind of counterbalancing each but other will, at this spot. We are on the clock. We're running down a little bit. I will say Landry is the guy by ADP at the top of the queue. We could use an eighth receiver still pretty comfortably, I think. I'm very comfortable going there if you want to get Landry. Let's take Jarvis Landry. I do think that that's a little bit of a unique opportunity at the 1409. One of the things it does do a little bit would be to eliminate someone like a George Pickens who faces off against the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson in week 17. But again, I don't know that we're necessarily playing it that way. We're kind of playing a Baltimore bloodbath in that final game of the season. Yeah, because of our Jackson-Dobbins stack, right? We're just saying they're going to score a ton of touchdowns. Dobbins is going to run late. He's going to run early. Jackson's going to run and throw, and, and they're going to both have 30-point games. So we now have Ronald Jones and, and J.K. Dobbins, which really is all that you need at the running back position, Ben. But we, we do have three players total there. We also need to add some additional tight ends. I guess I would be targeting the 16-17 range to try and pull off the McBride Dulcich double. But with those players getting a little bit buzzier, there's no guarantee that will work. Now, even in the last week, their ADPs are in the 18th and the 19th round. So, you know, we probably don't want to jump the gun there. But structurally, it is running back and tight end that we're looking at as we go down the stretch of these last six picks. Yeah, I think we're good with our eight receivers. We're good with our two quarterbacks. As we scroll through our roster here for the YouTube listeners, we do only have the one tight end, Kyle Pitts. We only have three running backs, Dobbins, Jones, and Tyrion Davis-Price. We have six picks left to work with. We're talking about getting to the three tight end build, that would leave us seven total running backs with the eight receivers. I think that's a pretty good balance given how receiver heavy we were early. 
So that's probably it for us is four more backs, two more tight ends. I like the idea of waiting. We've talked about how some of these tight ends in the later rounds are some of the more intriguing ones. Those two rookies you mentioned, I've liked Jonu Smith most of the offseason. There's still some other names that are there to provide some cover. Cameron Braid is floating around now that the Bucks have added Kyle Rudolph. He's likely to fall, but Brevin Jordan is there. Logan Thomas is there if he were to get healthy. Taysom Hill is there, who people like to take. Uh, <laughs> there are some draftable tight ends left. Not a ton after those rookies go, though. I like the idea of potentially taking our running back four here, going tight end, tight end, 16, 17, and then grabbing three flyer running backs, which we always know we'll find some running back that we're willing to take in rounds 18, 19, and 20. We definitely will. The question here is kind of how to play it out by ADP. It might even be something where we do want to wait on Dulcich. The the cost here, just because we have obviously a limit of, of roster spots and then probably rounds 19 and 20 are not going to be as fun. But there are quite a few names to like in this range. Chris Evans, Hassan Haskins, Sony Michelle, Eno Benjamin, I think is almost a must draft. Jerick McKinnon, even with Rojo, I think. Dearness Johnson, those guys all going in the top 18 rounds. And so it does put a little bit of the question back to us of do we actually definitively prefer marlon mack now marlon mack has an adp multiple rounds ahead of those guys he's the 1410 we're back around here to the 1504 i mean obviously we're not going to make a huge deal of the adp value in this range of the draft but it is something where you know he is the top player available by adp actually number two behind kj osborne i'm in no way going to argue breaching on a running back in the 15th round to get a guy that you prefer to Marlon Mack. Who do you like? The, well, I, the the thing I definitely want to do is get Eno, which might change our tight end approach slightly if we go Mack here. I don't think that necessarily makes sense to go Eno here. Let's, let's just go Mack. Let's just take Eno here. I've seen him rise a little bit these last couple of weeks. I've seen him go in the 15-16 range. Well, we're going to take Eno Benjamin because we see think that he is – the clear if he's a guy we have to have with our you know our atlanta double we have rondell moore and eno now for arizona for week 17 marlon mack goes one pick later that's fine and one of the things you've been mentioning one of the reasons why he is rising he is somebody that we've been on from uh, really multiple years ago and, and that has been incorrect but also early on in this talking about? he's been a great mascot on all my teams <laughs> yeah i mean he's it's good fortune even if he doesn't yeah. score any points but they have been talking about him as a potential breakout star. And some of that is obviously going to be a puff piece type of, of coverage in the early offseason. But I think with the addition of Keontae Ingram, with the signing of Daryl Williams, people are like, okay, well, you know, the Cardinals are finally done with Benjamin. They're trying to make sure that they have some other paths. And in fact, at least the rhetoric coming out of Arizona is that that's not the case. You just, you have to have some running backs, right? I mean, you look at what the teams like the Patriots and the Raiders and, uh, you know, to a lesser extent, maybe the, the 49ers, some of those teams are doing to make sure they load up on running back options. You listen to Kyle 
you listen to Cliff Kingsbury, I should say, the actual coach of the Arizona Cardinals, and he has said that Benjamin finally looks like the guy there. Starting guard Justin Pugh has said that really Benjamin has been the best outside zone runner on the team for a while, and now his pass protection has come along to where they can actually play him. All right, we already uh, took him in the 15th round. Let's chill. We want to get him in the 15th a few more times. <laughs> well, Ben, he doesn't we don't need him going later. in the 12th. He does have a much later ADP. I, <laughs> his ADP is in the early 18th. I don't think that making we're just kind of explaining why we would go with him early here. A lot of people tune into this show to find out who Sean Single zero RB targets might be this year. <laughs> You have to have Eno Benjamin, and then you know, we'll play this back after. The, the good we... thing is, our most loyal listeners took Eno Benjamin last year and are probably fast forwarding through this segment. So I don't think there's going to be this big rush to draft him. Everyone's a little bit snake bitten. You got to be a, a true, true believer, I think. Well, we're going to listen back to this after we win the $200,000, and it's going to be a thing where we just nailed every pick except for Eno Benjamin, and people are going to be like, <laughs> it really is a miracle that their team was still competitive because what were they thinking that Sean was having them select Eno Benjamin? For the record, I was like, I had Marlon Mack three-quarters of the way clicked down when Ben's like, no, no, let's just let's get Eno here. So, And I'm glad we did. Don't you feel better about that? Let's draft the players we like. Yeah, well, that's why... Trey McBride is in our sights here. Marlon Mack was the very next pick after Eno Benjamin. Then we got Joshua Palmer, Logan Thomas, Gus Edwards, Nico Collins, KJ Osborne, Raheem Mostert, and Mark Ingram. You know, we're in the 15th round. And so those are some of the types of players that are going to go. I probably would have that stretch more as 20th round guys. So pushing down players that we're targeting, again, that doesn't mean that we're going to be right. It just means that we do like that those players are off the board since they weren't on our target list but i do have and, John and one of the big here. things sorry sorry to cut in but one of the big things when you get into this range of drafts and one of the reasons i'm so comfortable with it is you only get so many picks our constraint now is we only have five more picks after taking you know we only had six at that point we have to make this running back room work we started Who's our number one running back i already forgot we started with jk dobbins we took ronald jones we took Tyrion davis price if Eno Benjamin is the best shot to continue to, to build out this running back room, even I mean, even if we take four guys with 18th round ADPs, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's like, okay, fine. You want to reach for Eno, but you also prefer Chris Evans, and I do too. We also like uh, you know, Jarek McKinnon as a potential option. You mentioned Darren Johnson, some of those guys. If we get four guys with 18th round ADPs in the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, and that's how we think our running back room will look best at the end of this draft, again, our constraint is – the picks that we have using a pick on Marlon Mack, who I do think is an interesting option for a kind of floor play. And Chris Evans does go. So we didn't get Chris Evans back to us. And that's the point is like, you can't take both of those guys in the 16th. We're talking about taking tight ends in the 16th as well. Make sure that you're using those spots, those draft opportunities. You can't take two dudes in the 16th that you're pushing down the, the line. Maybe we'd wind up losing McBride. Maybe we wind up losing Dulcich. Just get the the players that you want to get towards the end of the draft that build out your roster the way you want. Because at this point, the constraint, again, is the draft slots. It is nice to try to hit the home run, right? And if we could still get Eno later and then have Mac, that would be great. But Mac's a floor play. He's in a bad offense. They're probably going to be in a committee. Uh, not having him in our running back build is not a concern. 
Ellen, you you mentioned the upside there and, and Mac being more of a floor play. When you think about the points, both in terms of individual games and then multi-game stretches that players like Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds and James Conner have scored in the Arizona offense. And it's not to criticize them, but probably none of those guys are stars, right? I mean, I like Chase Edmonds. I think he's a good pick this year. Obviously, we like James Conner. You know, Kenyon Drake has had his moments, but it's, it's not like you're talking about, you know, obviously a Jonathan Taylor, but even a guy who will be drafted second round, third round. I mean, James Conner did go second round in this draft, but the ability of the offense to also elevate these guys, if we believe in the talent level of an Eno Benjamin, we want to make sure that we have that. It's, it's probably even more important given how weak we really are at the position. I don't know, Ben, John is going to come back to us to here. That's not a surprise. He's got an 18th round ADP. He does maybe factor in, but we're, we're all set to make this, tight end splurge is there a running back here that you want to go with first and try and get 17 18 from it bride and dulcich instead i mean i think it would be mckinnon but we do have rojo so in this particular build i'm not as concerned about grabbing him you have uh hassan haskins brian robinson sony michelle dernis johnson all in the queue i like haskin and robinson as well as rookies that are good late picks but um, I was going to say McBride here and then potentially John on the way back. The teams behind us have two, two and three tight ends already. One of the twos was an early build Hawkinson Goddard. The other is a late build. They might add a third. I wouldn't expect a ton of tight ends behind us. If you want to go tight end running back, we can maybe go running back first, sort of playing the room. I was thinking, McBride was the one that we were going to try to make sure to lock up. If you want to go Johnny, we certainly could. I, I'm comfortable either way. Let's go Trey McBride. We want to have last year's superstar rookie tight end and the new megastar, the number six overall player in fantasy football, Kyle Pitts, going up against this year's breakout rookie tight end, Trey this McBride. This is super fun because we don't have the big name Arizona guys, but we wound up in a Pitts London build correlating with three guys that we think could work into bigger roles in Arizona. By the time this week 17 game comes around, we got all of them. Rondell Moore, Eno Benjamin, Trey McBride. We like all of them. If none of them is playing in week 17, I'm going to be mad. But on this team, especially, we might have two of them or all three of them as part of the offense by that point going up against Pitts and London. It could be a really fun shootout for us there. It could be. And I love those players. And I think that there's also an early season element for us with DeAndre Hopkins being suspended. I don't have any insider info at all on this, obviously, but I just do think that Trey McBride is going to be one of the guys that they use in some unique ways to kind of get across that gap. Now, Hassan Haskins does go. He was the guy I was probably the most interested in if we were going to take a running back here they've they've been high on him in tennessee and he's been blown away which is kind of fun to read you have these rookies meeting some of these stars and talking about how just gigantic derrick henry is and like how fast he also is can't believe how fast he is at the size but derrick henry has thrown a lot of compliments back his own way not necessarily for the speed but for the overall back that haskins is i like that one because he would probably be the guy in this washington situation I don't, know that brian robinson, <laughs> I don't know that brian robinson is even the guy if antonio gibson gets hurt Dulcich or McKinnon? I mean, let's just take Dulcich. Okay. We got it. We got to have the three tight yep. ends. We want that upside. 
I like it. A this lot. is early for Dulcich, but he can go anywhere. I mean, I'm not sure what. That I was mean, a classic Sean on the clock, though, moment where you talked about Hassan Haskins for 40 seconds of our clock, and we had 20 seconds left, and you were talking about the player that went before us. <laughs> well, yeah, because it more or less dictated that we could take Dulcich, and so that's what I was. You were just running the clock down, and then Dulcich it was. I'm very comfortable with the 16-17 turn. That's why we took Eno at 15, exactly what I was saying. Eno might have an 18th round ADP. He's been rising a little bit, almost certainly, in my opinion, would not have gotten all the way back to 1809. If there was any possibility we're going to go McBride-Dulcich, if we had taken Mac there, then maybe we end up losing one of those. Now we wind up with three guys. Yeah, they all have a little bit later ADPs than where we took them, but we wouldn't have otherwise got them all on our team. So I'm they're the guys we want. I'm very, I'm very excited about this. Dulcich is getting a lot of positive reviews. You mentioned when we were in the outer Wugmanom range. They're mostly from Patrick Corrine. I mean, he's single-handedly yeah. trying to... I think he's paying off beat reporters at this point. Well, he's trying to ruin this fantastic opportunity we have to take Dulcich in the 20th round. If it were not for Pat, I would say Dulcich 20th, <laughs> and then we win the whole thing. So, I mean, Pat is so good at Twitter that I get reports on all of his jokes from Column. Obviously, we love Pat. I mentioned him in a big way in my recent Dynasty article, Six Lessons in One. It was looking at a team that I drafted with Pat and contrasting that with the team that I drafted with Matt Jones, another really cool fantasy writer and someone who's doing a little bit of work for Rotoviz. But Pat also has some great dynasty research that I reference in that piece. Yeah, so, I mean, Pat is the greatest. And that's one of the reasons why I'm now on the Dulcich bandwagon to an extent and partly trying to balance out some of my Albert O exposures. It's also the reason that, that I don't have a lot of Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, because how can those guys score any points if Albert O and Greg Dulcich are going to be like the three and four overall tight ends this season? Wait, I, I was looking away. Did you just say Albert O and Dulcich are going to be the tight end three and tight end four in the same offense? Well, uh, this is the new Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez situation, okay. I think. Got it. Got it. I mean, some I people did, want I to say that. that. I, was, I was concerned that I misheard it. It would have fit with you know your typical 17th round hot takes that you like to throw into the end of uh of our drafts one of there needs to be a reason to listen to round 70 18 19 and 20. sean starts getting a little loose starts talking about alberto and dulcich both finishing his top five tight ends at least one of these throughout this offseason random predictions you've thrown into these end of uh show notes will come true probably multiple I'm gonna bet against that one. That one, that one feels like a thousand to one odds type of bet. But but again, it, no. I mean, obviously that's not gonna happen. But <laughs> I mean, Albert O was very very good. If yeah. the Broncos legitimately think that they've got a guy who is as good or better, I mean, those guys should be dominating defenses this, this year. So fade Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, even KJ Hamler. You heard it here straight from Sean's mouth. This oh, wait, is a tight end only offense. Also, Javante Williams, fade him. Russell Wilson, 20. I mean, Russell 30. Wilson is known for just peppering his tight ends with targets, right? Yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, well, touchdowns at least. 30 touchdowns, 15 to Dulcich, 15 to Okugbanam. No one else catches a TD. We do need to fun. check here. And just, you know, if nothing else, for good luck, we need to get David Bell and KJ Hamler into the queue. 
But our big problem is that we now have, oh, we do have Darnish Johnson still there. I was going to say, we don't have any running backs in the queue and we need more other running backs. Then you had made the case, and I was kind of joking with you about this. I've always loved Matt Breida. When teams have given him a chance in the last couple of years, they quickly decided, wait, that was a mistake. And yet... There's no one else on there. You know that you are a big-time NFL fan if you can name the players on the Giants roster behind Saquon Barkley. It's Matt Breida. It's Gary Brightwell. It's UDFA Jashawn Corbin, who I've seen drafted. Other people looking at the depth chart and saying, I'm going to take the rookie. Antonio Williams. Sandro Platzgummer. That's their running back room. Well, I'm on board with Platzgummer. I'm not on board with James White, who you put in the queue and is still completely injured. Yeah, but if you get him in like the 20th round now, what if he plays? Is that immediate? I mean, like, is there no possibility that he plays? Say it's a 20% possibility. That's an immediate hit. All right, fine. <laughs> You're putting Kyron Williams in there. He's in a walking boot. Talk to me about injured players. Yeah, but he isn't like the 17th guy on the depth chart on his team. What? James White has a clear role. The guy's caught like 900 balls every time he's ever been healthy. Grumble, grumble, grumble. <laughs> then we do need some more running backs. I was I was mentioning to you that they, they do run out in the 19th and 20th rounds. Rex Burkhead, though, our guy still uh, potentially available here. I was sure you're going to like the James White price, but you're just confident he's not going to play? Well, in all seriousness, all of the reports that I have read suggest that he can't even he, walk. Yeah, that he's in danger of missing the season. Now, again, I, I could be misinformed there. It seems like there was more news today, obviously, on PUP. That doesn't mean, I mean, all that means is that you can't play the first practice, I believe. But uh, but he's someone where I, I do think that the Pierre Strong pick was specifically because they don't think that he's going to be ready. Didn't Strong not have much receiving in his background? Well, that's the thing that I don't understand, is that that no, he, he didn't necessarily, but he's been getting a lot of buzz in that way. Right, during offseason that's interesting. activities. Yeah, um, I mean, he's got the great speed, and you, when you have a guy about his size with great speed, you tend to think, okay, well, this player would be excellent in space. Why don't we do that? Obviously, all you have to do is look at someone like Ronald Jones, someone who... 205 208 somewhere in that range great speed and yet <laughs> receiving is obviously not his thing yeah uh i mean my thing on white is still just and pierre Strong goes one pick before us but it's still just that he you know got 12 balls in, in his three games last year and as soon as he went down they gave brandon bolden the job they didn't give it to stevenson everyone you know got excited about stevenson when the reports on white came out but i think it would be you know a very positive thing for stevenson but not not what we saw last year, certainly with Brandon Bolden keeping him, you know, out of that third down role. Well, who are you thinking here? Dearness Johnson? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. That seems like the way to go. Yeah. Is the pick by ADP. And there is this... Uh, you, you hear a bunch of trade rumors with the Cleveland Browns running backs. I don't know how reasonable those are, but certainly if you went from three to two... That would be a very good situation. Dearness Johnson has had fantastic peripherals the last couple of seasons. I mean, you have to draft good players in the 18th round. And it, you, obviously, you're not ignoring opportunity completely. But there are some big gaps still in terms of talent levels with the players who are left, which is one of the reasons why you've been mentioning James White. I mean, if James White were 100% healthy, I mean, it would be the clearest no-brainer in the draft at this point. Um yeah, I like what you just said there, though, because I, I do think people get way too caught with trying to predict where the opportunity is going to arise. And maybe I was doing this a little bit with Marlon Mack, but they, we, we think Marlon Mack, if he's back to his old self, could probably be a pretty good player, too. But you, you predict that, and you don't think about what happens if that opportunity does arise, because we do actually see opportunities arise for backs that are then not good, and then some other random you know, free agent signing comes in and winds up being the running back who's actually playing for that team, right? And so, like, just grabbing a guy late because you're like, oh, there's no, you know, sort of the Matt Breida point. There's no one else on the depth chart. Well, I actually think if Saquon goes down again, they're definitely adding someone, right? They're bringing in, they're bringing back Devontae Booker. They're bringing in who's still a free agent, different coaching staff who had him last year. And this coaching staff doesn't necessarily seem interested in bringing him in, but they're bringing in someone to complement Breida. I don't think Breida suddenly is a 20-carry pack or a 70% snapback or whatever you want to call it. He's probably playing 40% of the snaps and some other off the street free agent is playing 40% of the snaps. Exactly. And that's, that's kind of my concern there. It's just, it doesn't really seem like there's any way that that could work out. Even though Rita, someone who does have or has had the elite athleticism to make plays. And you're looking at guys who, who think can make plays in this range. Tyler Beatty, someone who, is vaguely interesting with his background and would perhaps be able to cross some of the <laughs> the chasm there if Dobbins isn't ready at the very beginning. I think. We what do you think a, about Jeff Wilson with our Tyrion Davis Price pick continuing to play into our Lance Ayuk San Francisco bet that you know they're going to rotate backs a little bit. I like that, and I don't think that you necessarily know again which game you're going to need if it's the week 17 game 
Maybe Opposite we can get him in the 20th, that's though. That's all the marbles. I was thinking 20th for him. I was thinking potential 20th for Beatty. One of the things I think we have to consider here, that would get us to six. You know, Are we willing to go ahead and just say, look, let's let's take a Will Fuller here because he's so clearly the best player available, or even a David Bell? There's enough receivers left. Hamler's still left as well that I think I'd, I'd rather kick that can to the 20th. Take your best running back here. Okay, so we'll take Jeff Wilson. He has been mentioned in reports as looking much better this year in the offseason than he did last year where he had some injury issues. They tried to play him a little bit in 2021 and just did not have the pop that he'd had in some previous campaigns. It does look like that will be the three-back committee with Trey Sermon on the outside looking in, and they've, again, made noise about limiting Elijah Mitchell, which I think is kind of unfortunate because he has the explosiveness to be the star there. But one of the things, and again, maybe the the map, I'm sorry, maybe the Brandon Ayuk pick will be the one that we look back on and have a little bit of regret about considering how we actually want this season to play out for Trey Lance and the running backs. But I think that the San Francisco offense, regardless of exactly how it manifests, is going to score a lot of points. It's a good fit with the rest of the team that we have built here. Yeah, and part of the reason <clears throat> I was excited to go running back there, you look back at our whole roster. We started with Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown, Jalen Waddle at the top of our receiver group. We get Drake London, Brandon Ayuk, Sky Moore, Rondell Moore, Jarvis Landry. It's somewhat unfortunate that this is the draft where K.J. Hamler and Will Fuller and David Bell are, are just not, not getting picked in the 18th round, but... I don't know that we have to add to that receiving room. And then especially with some health concerns with Dobbins as our number one running back with now some cut concerns that we're not actually taking seriously on Ronald Jones, but we have to consider probably at least to some degree, Eno Benjamin, we love Dearness Johnson. We love, but they might be more like number three backs, Tyrion Davis price, similar situation kind of concerned that this running back room at times could be taking zeros and so i do feel like this is a six running back build and to get jeff wilson with Tyrion davis price one of the reasons i liked that thought was just the raising of the floor i do think whatever order they're in they're very likely to be the number two and number three backs ahead of sermon based on what we saw from sermon last year maybe that will prove to be wrong but they do really like Jeff Wilson and they go in the draft here in Davis price this off season. That's sort of the most recent data point we have in the same round that they took sermon in, you know, Tyrion Davis price could get the sermon treatment as well, but probably that would mean Jeff Wilson is then the number two, which has sort of been the latest reports that Wilson's probably still the number two, but providing a little bit of floor, I think to our running back room, wasn't a bad thing to get a couple different San Francisco running backs. Ideally, as long as, you know, one of them is healthy I don't see a lot of scenarios where there's weeks where neither of them is getting at least like five touches. This <laughs> team might actually need at times the running back to just get five touches. And it might be so good, frankly, at quarterback with Lamar Jackson and Trey Lance. And if Kyle Pitts is what we want and with Trey McBride and Dulcich at tight end and at wide receiver with those names that I mentioned, that we might only need eight to 10 points at running back at times. That's sort of the way that we, you know, sometimes we'll think about zero RB teams. And this is a, a zero RB team that I think has executed the potential to have a lot of upside at receiver, a lot of upside at quarter, quarterback, especially 
maybe you can quibble with our tight end upside a little, but obviously it has Kyle Pitts. And we were sitting talking at the, the start of the show about how he might be the most important player in drafts this year. We only pair him with two rookies very late, Trey McBride and Dulcich. But if Pitts is that, then then our tight ends will be fine. That That's sort of where I'm at. I think this is a – I guess we're now at six running backs. I think it's a seven running back build. I did my math a little wrong. But David Bell goes. Will Fuller still sits. KJ Hamler still sits. It's really hard to take like Rex Burkhead over those guys. I want to make a different pitch – to you then and implicit in everything that you were saying is that what we want from these picks are guys who could win us the tournament that both help with the weekly floor as we go along and then the tournament upside when we're into the big money stage and jeff wilson has already shown that he can score in the 20s have that monster game that's the kind of player that you need Another player here, and frankly, I kind of wish that I had pitch, pushed for him in the 19th round, kind of thinking this all the way through, Tyler Beatty is kind of one of the stealth prospects from this most recent draft. The Ravens really liked him. He does have some similarities with J.K. Dobbins to where he could cover that, but also just a back that you can play and use and can be in this run-heavy Ravens juggernaut. Tyler Beatty, because J.K. Dobbins is the star, all of the focus on uh, him being ready is you know where the coverage is going to go. But there's also concern with Gus Edwards, and Gus Edwards can't lose a little bit of his talent level and still be an impact player, where I think that J.K. Dobbins probably could. right? If, if Dobbins is 90% over the first half of the season, that's still going to be something. With Gus Edwards as probably not. Tyler Beatty, you know, my 20th round prediction is simply that Tyler Beatty is going to outscore Gus Edwards this year. And if that's the case, then again, I think that you have to believe he's a good fit for what we've done and that he has week 17 upside. Well, I can't argue with that. <clears throat> so let's take it. Classic Sean running the clock down to 20 seconds, giving me no choices. Well played. <laughs> you, have, you have a Hamler, you have Burkhead. Yeah, LaVisca Chanel. It was it was the perfect chance. I mean, 15 seconds is what you need for LaVisca Chanel, right? So. Yeah, I could have I could have made a LaVisca pitch in 15 seconds, no problem. Will Fuller did go one pick before us, so we didn't get that option. I didn't have any alternatives. The second you started talking about Beatty, I was like, sure, let's do it. I wasn't actually thinking when you mentioned him in the 19th about how we have Dobbins and Lamar. Don't really like the handcuff element, right? But in terms of where we did it. We did it in two running back rooms that are likely to be very running back, or excuse me, very run heavy. In fact, there are the two teams that in my projections will project to have the heaviest run lean and not close. Uh, the Ravens typically do just because even though I, I have them calling more pass plays than I, than I would have based on 2021, you have Lamar's scramble rate very high. They just end up as a run leaning team. And then San Francisco is already a run heavy team. They call a lot of run plays and Trey Lance is going to have a pretty heavy scramble rate himself. These two teams are going to come out sort of in a projection perspective, very run heavy just for that reason, because their quarterbacks are going to scramble as well and all those things. But we're talking about the running backs here, but they, they're also two teams that like to shuffle their running backs a little bit. 
even when Dobbins is at his absolute best, they're using other backs to spell him some, or that was the case in 2020 in his rookie season. We certainly know that's the case in San Francisco, how they kind of see different roles, a speed back role, a power back role. Again, these are handcuffs, but they're sort of, you know, making the case that they're running back by committee pieces and run heavy offenses where it makes some sense. And it's a build where, again, we feel like we're strong in all the other positions. And now it provides potentially some floor at the running back position. So let's look at our whole team now that we're done. We started Justin, we started Justin Jefferson at the 104, Kyle Pitts in the late second. A.J. Brown, Jalen Waddle, J.K. Dobbins, Lamar Jackson, Drake London, Trey Lance, Brandon Ayuk, Sky Moore, Rondale Moore, Ronald Jones, Tyrion Davis-Price, Jarvis Landry, Eno Benjamin, Trey McBride, Greg Dulcich, Dearness Johnson, Jeff Wilson, Tyler Beatty. Both of our quarterbacks double stacked at the running back position. We also have uh, you know, Brandon Ayuk stacked in there on the San Francisco side. Big bets on Baltimore and San Francisco. It's a pretty fun team. I like it a lot. I think that the one place where if we had to do it again, we might make a different choice would be that round 14 selection of Jarvis Landry, knowing some of the picks that you have at wide receiver in 19 and 20 contrasted with some of the running backs there. We say that he'll probably be the guy who wins the league for us. Then if we had wanted to, put the Marlon Mack selection in there instead of Jarvis Landry. There's just a, such a big gap for me in terms of the quality of those two players or not the quality. I shouldn't say that because like I've said, I, I'm a big Marlon Mack fan, but the combination of the track record and say the positional value for Jarvis Landry does trump somebody who hasn't been able to perform as well recently as coming off of the injury is now on a very low scoring team. Maybe there's a different player we would consider there. But one of the reasons why we took Landry as opposed to going receiver is that the next three running backs drafted after we selected Jarvis Landry were Daryl Williams, Deontay Foreman, and Jamal Williams. That's not to say that any of those guys absolutely couldn't have an impact, but I think that those players are very similar to the players that we drafted in rounds 19 and 20. Jamal Williams, a good player, but the situation there in terms of the value of his touches, likely with the Lions, very, very low. Deontay Foreman, a handcuff for Christian McCaffrey. We talk about the differences between taking those guys in 19 and 20 and kind of what that does for us structurally and, and how the price factors in. It's very different than a, a more of a true handcuff type of situation where you have four minute behind McCaffrey. This is not necessarily a handcuff situation, but that same team has gone with Ken Walker and Rashad Penny. I like both of those guys. I think they could, it could work out to an extent, but it doesn't really work for you if you take those players in rounds eight and nine. So when you're using the Stack Explorer, when you're kind of thinking through either handcuff or no handcuff, context does matter a lot. And you explained that kind of as you were going through. One of the things that I like about our team here is that I do think that the vast majority of our players are in offenses that I expect to score a lot of points. And... If you can get those players without sort of overpaying for the fact that they're in a good offense, then I think that you've kind of skewed your upside to the positive side of things. And we talk a lot, and you had a really cool article about contingency-based drafting. Anybody who is listening right now and hasn't subscribed to Steely Signals, make sure that you get over there. Uh, get that piece. If you're a subscriber and missed it, check that out. When we're looking at scenarios and trying to understand the different scenarios and pricing scenarios, 
obviously we're going to benefit if the teams that we've drafted these players on just overall are explosive offenses. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. And I think that is a, a big positive here. I, if I was going to say a negative, I would say that we stacked Baltimore and San Francisco so heavily and didn't get a single player from their week 17 opponents. Uh, the Raiders, the Steelers, you talked about potentially taking Pickens. I do like the point you made during the draft that the way that we're sort of playing these offenses between, you know, these run running quarterbacks and multiple running backs on their offenses, we're sort of playing for game scenarios where these teams win by a lot. And we know both teams can, they can really take it to their opponent on the ground. But to really rack up the rush attempts and the rushing volume, what you need is the opponent to have short drives. And then your team is running the ball late, right? Um, you know, obviously, if you're having a massive blowout, the, the players can get pulled, the starting quarterbacks can get pulled, things like that. But you want the play discrepancy is the big thing that I would say between the Niners and their opponent or between the Ravens and their opponent to be pretty large. For them to be putting together these big, you know, long rush heavy drives, frankly, in this type of a build, I think. So I don't think it's that crazy that we don't have the bringbacks, even though they are pretty hefty stacks. In any scenario where these teams do win by a lot, you're talking about scenarios that are playing well for these rosters. Their quarterbacks are probably helping them get the leads. And these running backs are probably cycling in, particularly some of the ones we took late. Jeff Wilson, Tyler Beatty are probably cycling in some, potentially getting late touchdowns, those types of elements. So in terms of, you know, the week 17 correlation stuff, obviously when, when games shoot out and they're back and forth late and there's a lot of possessions and there's a lot of scoring and maybe there's overtime, that's, that's amazing for fantasy. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're looking for. If you're going to go away from it, or if there's a point where you don't necessarily need to prioritize it, I think uh, the ways that we've sort of uniquely built these two team stacks probably fit that and, and save us from a little bit of criticism there. Yeah, I, I would be much more concerned about not having the Raiders, not having the Steelers. And and those are teams that I do like to play a lot in best ball. And I think that cluster of teams you know, with Baltimore, with San Francisco are a lot of fun. You can do some cool things there. If we had Bateman on the team, if we had – spent an early pick at receiver for the 49ers with either Debo or Kittle, I think it would be a lot bigger deal. One of the things that I do like, and one of the sort of mild points of emphasis that we didn't talk about a lot during the show is that Baltimore plays Atlanta in week 16. Obviously we've got a couple of those Atlanta pieces. I think through how the tournament played out last season and every week, really wanting to get through and, and whether or not it would happen. And when you felt like you were going to go from, okay, this is cool, but you know, anything could happen to where, okay, now it seems like the chance to win the whole thing is there. I mean, that's when you go from week 16 to week 17. And so there are a lot of important ways in which the week 16 matchup is the one that you do want to also really focus on and i think that having that atlanta baltimore week 16 matchup and then atlanta arizona week 17 again i, th I think that you can end, end up giving away value by focusing on this kind of thing too much but i do like that for this team where i think if we have kyle pitts if we had drake london and those guys are having the kind of seasons that we want they could be a big part of number one 
being involved in a shootout game that gets us to the finals and then number two hopefully shooting out again in week 17 and being a big part along with those quarterbacks of potentially winning that two hundred thousand dollars i love it that makes a lot of sense that i hadn't really been thinking through that atlanta baltimore week 16 game but that is very fun with london and Pitts there on that roster that could be a big part of us advancing to the week 17 final yeah this was uh, a fun team i'm glad uh we carved out some time to do it it's uh we got a lot of our favorite guys on this roster jefferson Pitts, aj brown was already so fun and then you know we get lamar and lance we get you know benjamin and trey mcbride and rondell moore and this really fun late cardinal stack it's a good team it is it makes me definitely hopeful for jk dobbins he's going to be a big part of this this team in some ways reminds me a little bit of the team that i drafted with blair a couple of years ago where we got done and i had that really unusual feeling of maybe not having drafted enough running backs you know that extreme zero rb is is not something that i'm that uncomfortable with but you do occasionally get out of a draft and you're like well having some running back production is is important but then that team with blair that i was a little bit concerned about ended up finishing 31st overall in the main event that year we had the stack correction that knocked us out of the top 30 that was a bummer then i'm, I'm just getting i'm getting top 30 vibes from from this team and well let's not stop there i mean we we want to take a title this was so fun to do with you and we're going to be back with another ffpc draft very shortly you and i are involved in the pros and joes draft together on tuesday night i don't know when we'll necessarily release the show but obviously listeners can follow the whole sort of uh, pros versus joes event as well I think that FFPC will be doing that live on YouTube, I believe. So anybody who who does want to kind of see that part of the draft as it plays out, they can check that out and definitely should support the FFPC with that. And you'll get lots of great uh, insight from seeing how some of the experts and then obviously the Joes in many cases have even more experience and do a fantastic job in those drafts. It should be a lot of fun. Yep, that's going to be a blast. So your next episodes will be more draft episodes. We'll be back. With some analysis at some point, we've been pretty heavy the last couple of weeks. You've probably heard enough of us talking about these in-depth concepts. Uh, and I I say that jokingly because I know a lot of our listeners have been very excited about what we've talked about the last couple of weeks. We will certainly get back to that soon enough. But got to get a few drafts under our belt, and this was a good one. We'll have some FFPC main events coming up. We'll do some other formats as well you and i had a really good time in the main events last year and then it's it's only about another 10 days until august once you're in august it's big time ffpc main event season i can't wait that'll do it for this special episode of stealing bananas i'm sean siegel with me as always is ben gretch you can follow at yards per gretch make sure you check out stealing signals make sure you check out stealing lines the new product that ben has just launched with dalton if you want to join us at Rotoviz, you can use the coupon code RBRadio2022 to get a 10% discount on a one-year subscription. We always love it when you guys subscribe to the feed. You'll get these shows like this, the special shows, uh, when they drop, as opposed to having to hunt for them later. Drop us a rating and review if you are so inclined. We appreciate everything you guys have done with that, and we'll talk to you soon.
Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.